DJ, PK, and Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 Networks analysts, join us right now on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any handset, get an iPad for $99.99, visit the local Sprint store near you. Lincoln, good morning. Gentlemen, good morning to you. How are you today? We are doing well. We are at an unusual point in the local college football schedule where BYU and Utah are playing the same opponent two weeks in a row. <laughs> what did you make of the BYU-USC game? And then we'll, later on we'll get to how that informs you about the Utah-USC game. Well, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see it because I was I was doing the Cal game. But I mean, I was watching from the, the highlight. It wasn't overall. It wasn't a, a great weekend for um, uh, the Pac-12. Uh, though the win from uh, Michigan State, Arizona State standpoint, was a, was a good feeling. But it wasn't it wasn't a tremendous weekend. But you know, here's the thing: uh, Slovis came out the week before, and everyone had routed and raved what he was able to do at Stanford, and they said, "Okay, USC's back on track." And then you have this this little hiccup. So it's one of those things that happened. It's going to happen with a young quarterback once you get some film uh, people get some film on you they're going to know what you do well they're going to know where you probably have weaknesses and figure out different ways of attack you so I still haven't watched the film yet I got a lot of catching up to do I've been busy over the weekend but uh, but uh, it's unfortunate that SCA dropped it yeah what BYU did is they dropped eight and tried to confuse the kid and bait him into throwing into coverages and that's what happened on a couple of their okay. interceptions the last one was a tip in uh, overtime that the, the kid was able to scoop before it hit the ground and, and that ends up being the game. I'm wondering, you know, with Utah's defense, they rely a lot on man-to-man, maybe some zone coverage here and there, and they looked at what BYU did. Do you think that they follow that pattern and try to confuse the kid, or can Harrell and the guys at SC get this kid up to snuff to be able to be better mentally, not necessarily physically, but mentally? Well, you know, it's sort of a new thing, the whole drop eight thing. Once upon a time, coaches, you know, had a philosophy, especially with young or, you know, new quarterbacks, to blitz them, to give them pressure, put a lot of pressure on them to make them get rid of the ball quickly. Um, and that sometimes can work against, work for you, but in, in SC's case, because they have so many skilled athletes surrounding, sometimes that can work against you. You put man-on-man coverage uh, and you get burned and stuff like that. So, that. so now the new thing is to drop eight and either run some bracket coverages, double coverages, that type of things, or some wide zones to really confuse the, the quarterbacks. Um, I, I would think that you'd probably take bits and pieces of that, but still remain true to who you are because, you know, let's face it, every team is different. So if one team runs a lot of zones, coverage and another team runs a lot of man coverage you can't expect that man coverage team to run a lot of zone out of the blue and vice versa how frustrating is a former offensive lineman is it when things aren't going well for your team they're rushing three and you're like i can't really dominate the game we're not they're not running behind me i mean yeah i can go over here and help pass block this guy but my teammates actually got this guy pretty much locked up that that would seem weird well, it's not necessarily frustrating because you just want to win. But at the same point, you know, as an offensive lineman, whenever they rush three, I'm looking to the sidelines, like, why aren't we running on them? You know what I mean? If, if you know they're going to bring three, why aren't we running on them? And so then when you have sort of the um, – uh, and, and you had a number of teams going with like the three-three-five defense that mm-hmm. seems to be running rampant a little bit, and they're bringing almost like a hybrid four-three, depending on uh, how they do it. Um, bringing a rusher from a different angle just to try to confuse offensive schemes, um, it becomes a little bit different. But the big thing on a three-man rush is that you know it was it was widely known that there should not should not give up a sack quarterback should have eternity to sit back there uh, on a three-man rush because you have five offensive linemen. You generally keep a back in at times. So then you double-team each down lineman, and then the quarterback should have all day to find somebody open. 
So I went and covered the USC press conference after the game, and t- uh, Clay Hilton couldn't have been more upbeat as far as a loss. You know, this is not this is one long non-conference game. I believe in this team. This is a special team. We got special guys. All this positivity, and then somebody asked him about the noise in at Los Angeles. Uh, you know, be, being an SC coach, and he said, "Well, we live in Los Angeles, California. There's always a lot of damn noise." And, and you know, and, and I chuckled when he said that because it's true. But I'm just wondering how much of that stuff takes its toll on the team because now they're 2-1. and one, They drop out of the rankings. We know the AD's gone, all the other stuff that they've had. It seems like, man, there's so much pressure on these guys that I would think it's got to have some kind of impact. Well, I mean, you, what you always have to remember is that we're talking about young men, a lot of times 18- to 21-year-olds. And so this is their first, probably one of their first uh, you know, true uh, introductions to spotlight or fame, or, if, you, if you will. Um, but you go to SC for that. I, I think that guys that choose to go to SC know that they're going to be um, on, on the you know, forefront of being talked about in every conversation when it comes to college football. And this is no different. Uh, I think SC is fortunate enough to be in a position where they're two and one, especially after losing your quarterback the first, you know, in the first game. But at the more importantly, you know, there's it's good for the Pac-12 that SC is relevant in the conversation because I think Utah should take it on the chin the fact that they're the tenth ranked team and they're still you know um, underdog by four points. You know, they're going to SC. You see what I mean? So. Um, uh, you know, to me, it's one of those things where you just you take the challenge for what it is, and you want to go out there and smack somebody in the mouth, and you can't wait to do it. So, when you see the youth getting ready for USC, if you had one or two things you could put in the game plan, what would you absolutely do if you were Utah? Well, you want to control the clock. You want to do what Utah does best, and that's run the football. And then you want to open some things up and play action because what you want to do is you want to have USC defensively trying to commit it to take Zach Moss out of the out of the out of the you know, the equation and try to make Huntley a one-dimensional player. Um, and then that's when you want to torture him on the back end with play action and take some deep shots to remain to tell USC that you have to remain honest on defense. You do what you do best. I mean, you, you play a, you play a no-nonsense type of style of defense. Where you know you're gonna you're gonna do uh, you're gonna try to get pressure on the quarterback and occasionally bring blitz and depending on your game plan and what you learn from the BYU game uh, you try to implement some things to keep Slovis but you also know that um, USC is going to work on those things because now once you put it on film that you have trouble with it you better find a way to defend it or defeat it um, because uh, you know other teams are going to do it. So we spend all off season in the summer trying to predict what's going to happen. You know, when you're just barely into it now, there's been a couple of league games. And I think you can make the assertion, oh, Stanford's not as good, Cal's a little bit better, maybe ASU's a little bit better. Anything else that I'm missing based on what we thought going into the season? No. I mean, I think the big one is Cal. I think a lot of people are surprised by Cal, but I'm not. Coming into this this year, I thought this Cal was taking more and more of the identity of Justin Wilcox defensively. And when you have a defense, you really do have a chance. And they're going to disrupt a lot of things. Look, their offense isn't up to par, but right now, you know, the fact that Cal's undefeated and they have already taken down Washington, uh, they've got a somewhat favorable schedule. They can be looking to, to, to make some noise in the North that most people really didn't give credit for. Um, but I, I still think Wazoo's Wazoo. I think Washington has holes. And as you mentioned with Stanford, that's just the North. Uh, in the South, I, I 
I think ASU is going to be um, a fit for you know Utah because notoriously they have been. Utah's had its troubles with the Sun Devils, so the fact that ASU is undefeated right now uh, bodes well for their confidence going into the conference play as well. So ASU, two of the three games were scheduled wins, but then the Michigan State wins really impressive. The Spartans were yeah. ranked and all of that. Three straight games given up seven points. Is this uh, too small a sample size, especially given those first two games, or has ASU got one of the best defenses the Pac-12 has seen in a long time? I think it's too small of a sample size because I always think that when it, when football season starts, um, defenses generally have a little bit more of an advantage over offenses because offenses don't typically get into a rhythm after they play a little bit of football. I mean, sometimes you see guys come out like gangbusters and they look you know unstoppable, but for the most part, I think defenses have the advantage. With that being said, when you're talking about the three teams that ASU played against, I mean, they're not necessarily offensive juggernauts. Um, ASU doesn't take anything away from them. ASU did play some good football and has played some good football. Um, they've got some playmakers, especially the secondary. I think the strength of that defense is that secondary with the experience and the ability to be able to play man-on-man coverages out, uh, you know, um, on the outside. I think Manny Gonzalez, the defensive coordinator, knows what he's got and definitely knows how to use it. So um, I think ASU's defense is really good, but the sample size is awfully small to, true, to, to, to make a true uh, impression or an indication of how their season's going to go. How about Washington with Eason? You know, I don't know what to make of him because against the lesser teams, he's played well in the one game that they yeah. had, which was a crazy game with all the, the, the starting way late, ending in literally in the morning. And, you know, he's coming to Provo this week. I'm, I'm still not really sure what I've got out of Washington's offense. You know, here's the thing, and I can only imagine how this, is, you know, might affect him. A quarterback is, you know, transfer comes out of the state of Washington and goes to Georgia, which is something you don't see a lot of. But then all of a sudden comes back in a, in a transfer portal to, to play behind a quarterback who was a four-year starter in Browning, had tremendous success. So in, in leading Washington and, and the number of wins and stuff like that, there's got to be a lot of pressure. i, I got to imagine there's got to be some pressure to make those plays. More importantly, the spotlight right now is really big on Washington, um, especially after the Cal loss. A lot of people want to sort of scratching their heads to see what type of team this is. And you're, you know, you're led, led by your quarterback and your head coach. So there's got to be some pressure on Easton really to, to make those plays. I think he's capable. He has a strong arm. I'm just questioning the talent around him as far as the skill positions go, if they're overall over, overly capable. Now, you know, when you, when you talk about the, the conference play and stuff like that, for example, it's going to help ASU and Washington to not have to play each other because I think ASU secondary could really shut down Washington. Uh, and more importantly, I don't know if, um, if they got their running game um, started up to par that night and hired ASU. So I think that you know, plays out. But to answer your question where Easton is right now, I still think it's too early. I'm, the jury's out. I've watched two games. i got to watch the third one um, and shortly here this week. But uh, I haven't seen enough of a sample size to say that only he's really the truth or he's going to be the, the future for the Huskies. I don't know how much you know about football in Texas and Houston and Friday night, Washington State started slow but finished pretty strong and ended up winning that game to get 3-0. and They ought to beat UCLA. They're looming for the Utes. Uh, what's, uh, they play end of September, I guess, so it'll be the fifth uh-huh. game. New Mexico State and Northern Colorado didn't tell us anything. How much do we know about Washington State and how much are they going to be 4-0 and really pretty unknown coming in to play Utah? Wazoo is what Wazoo, the air raid offense, are going to put up a lot of points. I mean, you basically saw two mirror offenses in that Wazoo-Houston game. 
Um, uh, and, and Wazoo was able to take control over miscues by Houston and, and, and just separate themselves. But it is what it is. Now, this offense comes into uh, some trouble or when it gets the weather gets bad. You know, it starts to go south. That's where you see it. And more importantly, for Wazoo standards, because the fact they haven't been able to beat Washington for the last, what, six years, whatever it is, um, that, you know, you can have all the cloud in the world, but they can't close the door. And that's why we use the frame they cooked it at one point or another. Uh, Washington is one of those teams that, I mean, Washington State's one of those teams that I think is going to be a one or two loss team by the by the by the end of the day, and it might even be on a, you know the forefront of challenging for a Pac-12 or playing in the Pac-12 championship. But until we see Wazoo finish, you know we really don't know what to make of the team because their offense looks like they're unstoppable at times, and then the weather gets bad, and then they look like they can't you know they can't even get a first down. <laughs> That's extreme. <laughs> It is. <laughs> when you look at it right now, and obviously it's still early, and it's just mm-hmm. complete uh, speculation and just guessing, but as far as the playoff would go, do you list anybody besides Utah as a potential? I think I, – I honestly think when it comes to the Pac-12 representing, it's going to be tough. This last week was really, really hard for the Pac-12. Now, look – Depending on how this all falls out, if Utah runs the table, I think Utah really has to play someone, uh, someone who's, who's climbed up in the ranks, obviously, in the mid-teens. I don't know if, uh, if Utah continues to win, yes, they'll break into the top ten, which will bode well. But with, only, with the limited amount of teams that are going on, Utah has to play someone really, really strong in the north. And unfortunately, the way it sits right now, let's just say, let's say Utah plays Cal in the Pac-12 championship. I don't think that'll be a strong enough game to get them in the playoff, um, uh, even if they even even if they win. Um, you really got to play someone, either Oregon or a Wazoo or Washington has really got to you know come and set themselves out in the, in the north, uh, set themselves apart from the north, and you got to have a, a top caliber game in order to to get some some notice. But even that's going to be tough because I still think a lot of the focus is on the east and the Midwest. So if we if you you play the game as far as spots go. Isn't it probably a foregone conclusion to say Alabama and Clemson are going to be there? That's two spots. The way Oklahoma's playing, that's three spots. And probably the, the, the third spot, the, probably the way that who's ever coming out of the Big Ten um, or Notre Dame is going to take up the fourth. It's just not enough spots. Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 Networks analyst, joins us every week here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And uh, you also do the Oakland Raider games. And so i got to yep. ask you one NFL question before I let you mm-hmm. go. You watched Mahomes just go nuts in the second quarter. I mean, that was outrageous. <laughs> Who does he compare with in NFL? His, I mean, it's early, I know, but in his career. But who do you think he compares with? Who's his? Uh, you know. You know, I don't know if there's ever been anyone like him. He has a quick release like Marino. Um, he has the playmaking ability of an Elway. I think he's got just the overall smarts. A football acumen of a Steve Young. I mean, it's a common. I've seen all the three of those quarterbacks and played against all of them, and it was a while. But Patrick Mahomes, and I said this on my broadcast Sunday, when he's back to pass, I literally hold my breath. And it, can't wait to see what he does. I mean, he went off, and the thing was, in, in that watching that game, a lot of those touchdowns he threw in the second quarter, there weren't bad coverage. There was one, obviously, a blown coverage and stuff like that, but they weren't bad coverage. The defensive position, uh, player was in position. Patrick Mahomes is one fearless, and two, he's incredibly talented. And by far the best thing that I've ever seen him do was this past Sunday. He was running to his right, 
and he threw back across his body a strike between two Raider defenders and hit the receiver in the chest 25 yards downfield. I've never seen that. I have never seen anybody move and have be that accurate, but I think it's a lot to do with that baseball background. And as I said, he's fearless. There's there's really nothing you can do. Now you talk about we talked about you know rushing three or putting pressure. If you if you rush three and drop back, he's going to find time. He's so accurate, even down the field, late down the field, far down the field, he can pick you apart. If you blitz him and you put one on one coverage with the playmakers he has out there, you're going to get torched too because there's no one who can cover Travis Kelsey, you know, and Robinson and all the other guys that they've got going in. And now, you know, LaShawn McCoy is added to the mix. I mean, they've got some arsenal. So that's why you see teams like New England did what they did and put up with uh, Antonio Brown because they need to have playmakers that complement Kansas City because they know it's going to be a shootout when they see each other in the AFC Championship. Lincoln, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Have a great one.